<coughs> this is day six of this June 2022 seven day session. We'll take up a koan today. <coughs> this is uh, from the Mumon Khan, the gateless barrier, and uh, it's number nine. It's called Daitsu Chisho Buddha. I'll read the case and later get to the commentary and the verse. Once a monk asked Master Seijo of Koyo, Daitsu Chisho Buddha did Zazen on the Bodhi seat for ten kalpas, but could neither manifest the Dharma nor attain Buddhahood. Why was this? The Master said, Your question is exactly to the point. The monk persisted. Why did he not attain Buddhahood by doing Zazen on the Bodhi seat? The master replied, because he didn't attain Buddhahood. We don't uh, nothing much about this master Seijo except that he was, uh, he taught in the 10th century uh, in China. Seijo is his Japanese name. The monk's question, first of all, we have to put aside the, the, uh, the logical contradiction of someone called Daitsu Chisho Buddha uh, doing Zazen all this time and not attaining Buddhahood. Just got to leave that out. Uh, there's plenty in koans that are, that are not logical. Or the, the point is more the, this, this is this monk's problem. Daitsu Chisho Buddha, which, by the way, is one of the harder uh, parts of, for the student working on this koan is to pronounce that. Daitsu Chisho Buddha. I usually just say, just say die. Just don't worry about it. Uh, uh, this Daitsu Chisho means the, uh, the Buddha of supremely pervading, surpassing wisdom. That's it literal translation of it. So, this is a truly uh, magnificent, uh, profoundly enlightened Buddha who did Zazen on the Bodhi seat for ten kalpas. A kalpa is this immeasurably long period of time an Indian word, uh, a kalpa. There are different ways that the uh, it's defined in the old texts. One is uh, that if you had a a uh, huge container uh, of uh, um, a cubic container, it's a, a mile in each dimension, uh, full of poppy seeds and you remove just one poppy seed every three years, 
from this immense container, uh, it would it would it would take all that time before the container before one kalpa had passed before you've emptied the container. The one I remember from Roshi Kapil giving this teisho was uh, it's like uh, a heavenly being uh, coming down once every three years and uh, brushing ever so lightly brushing uh, the edge of its wing against a mountain uh, a mile high made of iron and the kalpa would be how long it takes uh, to wear down that mountain. In our, the Buddhist tradition, uh, there is this uh, love of of describing uh, immeasurable numbers in, in this way, in concrete, physical uh, ways, rather than just saying a cup is an immeasurable length of time. What does that do for you? You know, just but then these other things can take hold of the mind and. Give us a sense. Here's here's one that just popped in my mind. What's a billion? A billion uh, is uh, if a if a the propeller of a plane is uh, rotating at uh, 2,500 uh, revolutions uh, rotations per uh, minute <laughs> second. Uh, it would take a year before it had gone around a billion times. So we have our own versions of that. And then the monk asked, why was this? All right. So here's, here's how I can imagine this monk. I knew this monk. He joined the monastery because he sincerely wanted to come to enlightenment. And he was the type who could work toward a goal. Once he had that goal spelled out and he wanted it badly enough, he would really put himself in the harness and give it everything he had. So he had, he had read enough to hear about enlightenment. He, uh, he knew that all of the pleasures and the successes of the world couldn't compare to that for him anyway and this is what he had to do he hadn't the three pillars of zen hadn't been around then uh, but uh, he had other sources of course and so he went to town comes to the monastery and he sets about to accomplish this goal. And he goes to Sashin after Sashin, determined to come to awakening. The years pass. He steps up his efforts in Sashin does lots of yaza, even sometimes sits during break periods. 
skips a meal now and then. He's a man of strong faith. But every once in a while, way in the back of his mind, comes this little voice. Are you sure? Are you sure you can do this? Yes, others. Yes, I'll give you that. Others have done. I have no doubt in my mind. But how do I know I've, I can do this? And then he pushed those doubts out of his mind and just go on sitting around the clock. And the years pass. And one day he's up in the library, the monastery library. He needs, after all, he needs to take a break from the sitting now and then. And he's leafing through uh, this Lotus Sutra. And he sees that this Daitsu Chisho Buddha did Zazen for ten kalpas without attaining Buddhahood. And he sits back Thunderstruck. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. All that time, all that effort, ten kalpas, not just one or five, <laughs> ten kalpas and didn't attain Buddhahood. Duh! How can this be? What the hell? And then the first chance he gets, he goes to this master, Seijo. And he spells this out and ends by saying, why was this? How could this be? His faith now getting a little wobbly. There's a short story I marked from a, a book of stories called Soul Food, Stories to Nourish the Spirit and the Heart. Uh, and it's uh, edited by Jack Cornfield and Christina Feldman. Um, one of the devotees in the temple was well-known for his ardor, zealousness, and effort. Day and night he would sit in meditation, not stopping even to eat or sleep. Well, he grew thinner, exhausted. The master of the temple urged him to slow down, take, take better care of himself. He introduced him to the idea of self-care, which can make such a difference in the long run. But this guy refused to heed his advice. And the master said, why are you rushing so? What's, what's your hurry? Time after enlightenment. The devotee replied, there is no time to waste. 
To which the master said, and how do you know that in how do you know how do you know that enlightenment is running on before you so that you have to rush after it? Perhaps it's behind you, and all you need to to do to encounter it is to stand still. But you're running away from it. Stand still. Sit still. And this master, he could see that no explanation would would work in this case. So he just said, your question is exactly to the point. Yeah, good question, monk. And the monk, oh, he couldn't could let it go at that. He pressed him, why did he not attain Buddhahood by doing Zazen on the Bodhi seat? And then the master, because he didn't attain Buddhahood. Like one in water crying, I thirst. <clears throat> one of the uh, best known stories about this whole matter of practice, enlightenment, effort, exertion, uh, appears in Three Pillars, among other books. Uh, I'm sure many of you have read this, maybe in Three Pillars. I'll, uh, I'll read through it. It's uh, about a, uh, a monk at the time who went on to become a great, great, one of the greatest of the Chinese masters, Ma Tzu. He's supposed to have had 139 enlightened disciples. But this was long before that. And uh, he was doing Zazen every day in his hut on the mountain. And uh, his master noticed uh, and said, he will become, he said to himself, he will become a great monk. And then went to him and asked, Oh, worthy one, why are you what are you trying to attain by sitting? Matsu said, I'm trying to become a Buddha, trying to become enlightened. And then the master picked up a piece of roof tile and began grinding it on a rock in front of him. What are you doing, master? Matsu asked. Well, I'm, I'm polishing it to make a mirror out of this roof tile. And Matsu said, how could polishing a tile make a mirror? And Matsu, or the master said, 
How could sitting in Zazen make a Buddha? Uh, Roshi Kaplow includes this story in his book uh, to, to point out that this should not be taken to mean that sitting, there's no need for sitting. Rather, uh, sitting, Zen practice, Zen practice is not limited to sitting. There's no doubt that the more sitting we do, in session or outside, I'd say, outside session, the more sitting we do in a day, the more sitting we do in a week, the more likely we are going to empty the mind of obstructive thoughts. That's why we have session. So people who are ordinarily so busy in their lives can come and drop all those tasks and be able to really sit around the clock. But the this young Matsu, his his impediment was the same as this monk <clears throat> in today's koan. Mental, of course. Like water and ice, without water, no ice, outside us, no Buddhas. Let's move on to the commentary, Mumon's commentary. He says, I approve the old barbarian's realization but I don't approve his understanding. If an ordinary person realizes, she is a sage. If a sage understands, she is an ordinary person. So here, uh, Mumon is uh, distinguishing between what he calls realization and understanding. Usually we use these interchangeably, realization and understanding. But uh, then why does he distinguish between them? Well, this is just one of the uh, skills one learns in working on koans is not to get hung up on the words, but to see what's behind the words. The whole koan system uh, can be appreciated as a way to, to learn to see through words and concepts. It's great practical value to train in that way and just in our daily lives among every kind of person in every walk of life. People talking to us 
our family, our kids, our spouse, when they're saying whatever they're saying, what are they really saying? What's behind that? So then let's meet this commentary on its own terms where realization is different from understanding. I approve the old barbarian's realization. Well, where, how did the barbarian get into this all of a sudden? Barbarian would refer to bodhidharma. Bodhidharma sometimes uh, represents our true nature in koans. true self. I approve the old barbarian's realization, but I don't approve his understanding. This uh, monk I was uh, imagining who came to the master with this question, he uh, may have uh, spent plenty of time before that in the library studying, thinking that would be uh, his route before he uh, got serious about the meditation. For untold numbers of people, this is, this is their, their way. Their way is to read and read and read and try to learn. They think learning is going to satisfy their longings, their spiritual aspirations. Reading, studying. Many of the, uh, the greatest of the Chinese masters uh, did plenty of time uh, as studying the sutras before they switched to this the school that uh, is beyond words and letters without reliance on the sutras, the Zen school. And then the commentary continues, if an ordinary person realizes he is a sage, if a sage understands he's an ordinary person. This last line, particular, if a sage understands, he is an ordinary person. An ordinary person caught in a world of dualities, self and other, us and them, good and bad, right and wrong, this and that, future and past. How, how, how can then a sage become an ordinary person?
There are people in the seven-day session who on the last day of session don't succumb to thoughts about after session. They work right to the last bell. And even if they haven't come to awakening, even if they haven't been passed on their koan, let's say, it's very common to see such people come out of the zendo when the music comes on, just glowing, radiant. An ordinary person is free of thoughts in the mind. And there is there is that essential nature, that Buddha mind, completely luminous and bright. But if someone who has been passed on their first koan, spends time in the last day sorting out arrangements for after sashin, what they're going to say to whom and how and when and how and, and so forth, then they come out of that sashin an ordinary person. Rather than speaking of an enlightened person, it's much better to speak of enlightened activity, enlightened conduct, enlightened action. Because anyone who has experienced a degree of awakening needs to confirm that, to prove that moment by moment, day after day. What does it matter what's happened to you in the past? fundamental, the, the uh, natural koan of the great Japanese Zen master Dogen was, if I'm already enlightened in my true nature, why don't I know it? And why do I have to go through all this training, all the sitting, the pain, the struggle, if I'm essentially in my true nature enlightened? A, uh, a Chinese government official who must have had plenty of Chan practice said, an ordinary person is someone who is enlightened the whole day long without knowing it.
in the three pillars also uh, Roshi Kapla warns about Buji Zen Buji Zen is this uh, idea uh, that uh, okay so gotcha we're all fundamentally enlightened I'm enlightened so okay done there's nothing I need to do right <laughs> everyone here in this zendo knows better and so do those who are sitting at home in this participating in the sashin there's so many ways to uh, forms of avoidance of doing the work that we knew, know we have to do, ways to, to try to get around the need to confirm our true nature. This monk in the koan, uh, maybe if he was in the library reading about Daitsu Chisho Buddha, maybe that was a way for him to kind of tell himself that he was still working for the Dharma even though he wasn't sitting. There's a saying in Zen, a menu doesn't satisfy hunger. And now uh, the verse, Mumon's verse, rather than giving the body relief, give relief to the mind. When the mind is at peace, the body is not distressed. If body and mind are both set free, why would a holy hermit seek to become a lord? Rather than giving the body relief, give relief to the mind. So many millions of people uh, focus on the body, its fitness, its diet, its flexibility, its strength, its endurance. In hopes that they'll find some kind of freedom that way. And there's no doubt that it's only smart to take care of the body, to be aware of one's diet and one's flexibility and strength and cardiovascular, of course, of course. But ultimately, it's not going to get the job done. It's a stage. Uh, for many people, it's a stage before coming to authentic practice. It's a, 
it's a way of, uh, it's a first step toward practice. It is kind of practice. It is practice. It's not just studying. It's, it's activity. It's discipline. It's good. But mind rules. Giving the body relief. Uh, I wonder how many people have spent time in Sashin hours trying and trying and trying to find the perfect posture tweaking this, tweaking that, trying different cushions and and still not finding any real ease, relief. But then, as a last resort, really bearing down on the practice one is working on, the mental practice one is working on, and finding that everything can change. It's really quite marvelous how that works. It's so confirming that that uh, when the mind is at peace, the body is not distressed. Don't not suggesting that this is a black and white thing. It's absolutely all you have to do is get deeper into your practice and you won't have any physical pain. But it can make such a difference. It can transcend physical pain. It can enable one to transcend physical pain so that even though it's still there, uh, one can work with it. One, it, it isn't oppressive. It isn't the same obstacle that it was. One's relationship to it changes through absorption in the practice. You can also see body here as meaning the body-mind, the psychological. Same thing. Psychotherapy and other forms of psychological exploration and development can only be good. How can those hurt? But I would, I would say that the realm of psychology addresses personal suffering. The realm of spirituality, Zen, addresses the nature of suffering suffering that is universal. And the former can be very good for the latter, the psychological. Pull out some wedges in the psychotherapy room can uh, make a real difference in one's practice. It did in mine. If body and mind are both set free, why would a holy hermit seek to become a lord? 
referring back to the case. Why would this monk be anxious and striving about becoming a Buddha? If body and mind are both set free, release, opening, We'll stop now and recite the four vows.